0: Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on GigaOm.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps. Hello and welcome to this, or should I say, bienvenidos to this week's uh, edition of uh... Voices in DevOps, where I'm delighted to welcome uh, Manuel Pais, uh, um, who is Portuguese, hence my uh, uh, throwing into words from Portuguese. There, That's all I know, I'm afraid. So I'm going to stop there. And uh, hand straight over to you, uh, Manuel. You're you're, you're a consultant in DevOps. You're a delivery coach. Uh, You're also writing, uh, you've written at least one book and you're writing another. Um, So maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself and, and kind of what got you to here. And... We're, I know we're going to be talking about the topics of the books, but uh, why those books, I guess? Because a, a book is just a kind of uh, capturing what you felt needed to be said in, in some ways. So so maybe, yeah, just start with you. Uh, what brought you to here,
1: Manuel? Well, uh, obrigado, Joan. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so, I've, I've, this is like my second life uh, as consultant since uh, 2015 and before i was a developer tester release engineer and so since 2015 i've been involved with different clients uh helping them adopt devops and we'll probably get to what does that actually mean um and continuous delivery practices as well so it's sometimes it's it can take very different forms it can be training workshops assessments of what teams are doing and sometimes, kind of more strategic advice, but um, through that work with all these different clients, me and, and Matthew Skelton, um, who co-wrote the book Team Topologies, which is going to be published um, in the fall by IT Revolution Press, it's um, we've seen how there's one very important aspect that is not always considered when we're talking about DevOps, which is um, how our teams structured, how do they interact. Um, and how that can enable or be an obstacle for actual devops uh, implementations and and improving how the work gets done, especially in in medium to large enterprises so so the book in particular is is all about that how to think about your team organization and the way that what are the responsibilities of the teams and how they interact for um, for a better. Flow of work and then essentially getting getting things done more effectively.
0: Uh-huh. So uh, I, I'm fast I'm, I'm intrigued. I have to say to know what happened in 2015 that caused your uh, epiphany well, or just a switch.
1: It, it was a switch. I've been. Um, I'm also InfoQ lead editor for DevOps since um, about 2012 2013. Um, so I was already. Um, very much interested in, in the DevOps movement since the first uh, DevOps days, conferences, and you know, starting to read about um, what Patrick Debois was saying about what DevOps is. And um, and so in 2015, I, I switched from being a, an employee to, to becoming a consultant around continuous delivery and, and DevOps. Um, and that was very, uh, very exciting. I started working with uh, Smalls Consulting called Skelton Thatcher in the uh-huh. UK. Um, and it was it was really interesting to see what different clients were doing, and obviously, the context is super important. And it's something that we don't always think about. Um, DevOps is a lot of things, right? There's not a strict definition, and it's I find super important to understand the context of an organization. What are you actually? What are you doing? What kind of products do you have? Or or what kind of services do you provide? How are you organized? What are you trying to achieve? Do you need to deliver faster? Do you need to improve your quality? Um, Is the service poor? So do your customers have a poor experience? How can you improve that? Um, And not a a lot of organizations that I see actually think a bit more deeply about this. Um, They're just kind of think about DevOps as a goal and, Devops is, is at at most is a, a way to reach some goals. So when mm-hmm. when we hear some large organizations saying oh, we want to be DevOps by 2020 or what have you, that what does that actually mean? It's it's very um, vague. So that's- I
0: mean, in in some in some ways, DevOps is as much a symptom. As, as anything of, of, of good practice which is why it's startups might be doing devops without even yeah you know, why are we even talking about this stuff you know it's kind of uh, yeah. uh, it, 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 how else would you work it is is what I've heard before from 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 more start y kind of
1: people yeah it's especially when you get to to large organizations um it's kind of ironic on one hand it's good to have Management with this kind of urgency that we need to do, you know, understand that DevOps brings value and and there are important practices and this kind of urgency to to improve. But then at the same time, um, uh, they're looking for something too immediate. Like, in, I, I've heard, I've had this this question from from different um, potential clients. Like, in how many months are we going to have? DevOps teams, or are we going to be devops and that's that's really to me not the the right way to approach it you need there is some uncertainty the larger the organization in in how are you going to get to to that better place, which first of all needs to be tied into some kind of um, goals and metrics that are more specific than doing devops and secondly, the way to get there it's not straightforward it's not um I can't say, well, you're going to, by month one, you're going to do this, month two, you're going to do that. It, you need to allow teams to also um, make progress by themselves and find out what works and what doesn't work in their context. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I want to get onto teams, because, yep. and obviously you, you want to get onto teams because that's your, your thing these days, uh, if I can put it that way. <laughs> but equally, I, I want to also cover the notion of flows, um, which... I know you've written a lot about um and clearly a lot of these things are, they're, they're kind of a, a meta level it's it, it, it's a top it's a term but if you if you build your own universe around the notion of flows then then you're going to get to a certain place versus building your universe around the notion of teams and that'll get you to a certain place so what do you mean by uh, flows and and how have you been over the past three years kind of um Helping organize. Start start with what do you mean by flows? But then, then why did you see flows as an as an important thing to help people with?
1: Right. So, the book I've co-written co-written with with Matthew Kelton is, is all about that uh, really. So, the the flow of work is it means that um, whatever teams are involved in delivering some some piece of work, um, essentially are not blocked. They can perform the work um, as soon as, as possible, um, but also with, with the required levels of, of quality. So what, what we've seen with different clients is that uh, that can mean different things at different times. Sometimes you need teams to collaborate more closely because there's uncertainty around technology or the market where you're delivering a, um, a new product. So you, you need teams to actually work very close together and find out what they need to do. Um so they're not blocked, you know, waiting for another team to 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 do something. And other times you actually you're more in a kind of execution mode where we already have discovered the, the essential things and now it's just, you know, execution, getting things done and, and delivering. So uh-huh. the book what we recommend, what we've we found out that there are four for us, fundamental uh, team topologies, types of teams, and there are three fundamental modes of interaction between those teams. So the the kind of teams we we recommend is start with a stream-aligned team, which we didn't want to call it a product team because that that seems to limit it to just one one product per team, or uh, and uh-huh. it, you know you have to think about what's the right size of software that the team should be responsible for but you have a team that's aligned with some kind of of business uh, line of business or a segment of the the business Um, so they are working towards the goals of that business uh, line and ideally they're autonomous and they have end-to-end ownership that means you know they can take um, some idea and they can discover what needs to be done for, f- to deliver that idea to, to the customers, and then actually build, test, deploy, and and monitor um, the actual software. Uh, the problem with that is that when you think about the uh, technology stack and how many uh, tools and how many frameworks and methodologies you need to know, that, that becomes very complex for one team, which is usually seven to nine people. So... Uh-huh we reduce that kind of cognitive load on that stream-aligned team. Uh, that's where the other topologies come in. So uh, we've seen that a very successful pattern uh, across many organizations to have a, a platform which provides you know, a, a set of, of services or at the very least um, a set of documentation that helps the stream teams do their work without having to know uh, all the details about how to monitor, how to deploy, et cetera. And those are, so you will need some kind of platform teams. You will need also ideally enabling teams. What we call enabling teams are those uh, which are more um, expertise focused. So you can have an enabling team around test automation, for example, or um, user experience, those kind of uh, functions which, don't always make sense to have a full-time person in a stream team. You need a team to have that capability, though. So you you can have an enabling team that is essentially orbiting around the the aligned teams and helping them build those capabilities so that they can do the work without being uh, experts. And a fourth kind of team is um, what we call complicated subsystem teams. So in various special very kind of rare occasions where you have kind of phd level algorithms or or components that really need super specialized people then you might have a team that's dedicated to that even if if that component's not um directly aligned to business uh to to business segment but um that team should also kind of provide a, it's It's like a service. So other teams that are using that component should see it as a service um, that they're being uh, given by the that team. So those are the four fundamental topologies, stream aligned, uh, enabling, platform, and complicated subsystem. And then we have three interaction modes between them. So which are essentially collaboration, um, X as a service. So we as a team are providing a service to other teams, which are mm-hmm. internal customers, and uh, facilitation, which is what the enabling teams do. They facilitate um, other teams to to do their work and to to gain capabilities and and be able to to do all the things, the testing, monitoring, deployment, etc., um, without requiring experts in each of those areas. So
0: I'm just drawing a picture in my head. Uh, so. I get the stream team. They're essentially the people trying to build uh, something of value, if you like. Um, yeah, product uh, teams. It's for like customer or business business value. Yes, which which uh, links very strongly into uh, another podcast I, I just had with uh, uh, Christina Naren of uh, of CloudBees, who, who's very product oriented. So uh, I'm I'm sure uh, what you're saying would appeal to what she's saying. Um, then we've got uh, the if you need a deep dive team um yeah that that kind of uh, domain excellence team as you say it could be algorithmic or, or or whatever um and then you've got the enabling team and the platform team can you just remind me of the difference between the two because i was getting a bit lost in in platforms yeah, and enablement that, that's there.
1: strongly related to the way those teams interact with the with the stream aligned or product team so um an enabling team its main goal is to enable um stream aligned teams to do their work. So provide them expertise around different areas that they that they need help with. While a platform team essentially most of the time it will work uh by providing a service or a set of services that the stream enabling teams can use.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the 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 um
1: but this the, changes the over time. That so that's said. yeah. I think just to make that point, I think that's the difficulty that um people tend to think of this as a static thing. This team does this and that team does that, but the way they interact over time changes. So if we are, imagine we are, you know, we've been using AWS and now we want to um, adopt Kubernetes. That's a, a really big technological change. So you can't, or you shouldn't just say, well, this team now, this product team now is going to use Kubernetes instead of AWS. It You need to, to see that there's a phase of discovery where if you have that platform team in the house, then that platform team and the and the product teams need to work together closely for a certain period of time, so they understand how how are we going to effectively use uh, Kubernetes and or whatever new technology, so that you know it makes sense for us. We establish what is the good way to, to use them. What kind of services do we need from the platform, um, and then you know you move on and it becomes more of an execution. Uh, Type of type of execu- of of um, um, interaction. Mm-hmm. So I
0: mean, from the point of view of if if you were okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start 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 again on this because most organizations I think have some kind of DevOps activity going on now. But most uh, you know, large organizations there'll be there'll be a pocket of of DevOps or you know uh, several. There may be one department that's fully DevOps and another area that not that or, or whatever um when you're going into organizations relatively green fields let's say um what's the chicken and what's the egg in this i mean do you do you start by saying first thing we need to do is sort out um, uh, your team structures or how you uh, manage your teams or do you start by saying let's let's just see what problem we're trying to solve here and and let's do devops right versus wrong it from a flow perspective um where where, where does the teams where, where does team management really start kicking in
1: yeah that's a great question um there is a period where depending on what stage you are in your devops journey let's say um the initial period you kind of need more basic uh things in place so before the team topologies book, we also we have an online catalog of DevOps topologies, which uh, became quite um, quite well known because it's a simple, very approachable way to think about team structures. Just to get the first idea of, well, we can have um, a Dev team and an Ops team collaborating closely, or we can have. Uh, cross-functional teams that you know actually have ops expertise inside them different kinds of ways of organizing teams I think that's that's a good start just to get Uh an overall idea of what kind of teams do we have now what kind of how are they collaborating right now and where do we want to go but at the same time if if you're in a very um if you're in a large organization and like I said before, there's just this goal to do DevOps without a very clear idea of what you actually want to achieve, then um, I like to start by doing team-focused assessments. So let's focus on a team level. What does this team need to do to improve the way they work and the way they deliver? Um, So you start with one team, then a second team and a third team. Uh, And the reason why this is important for me is because one of the key um, one of the keys for a long-lasting devops adoption is uh, ownership so if you are if you just have a kind of top-down approach where teams are being told you need to do, do this and that and you need to be devops uh, they won't feel the ownership of of that right so you need also the bottom-up um, ownership where teams understand why they're doing things and they have a say in what You know what works what doesn't so you start from team perspective what are the practices and where do we want to go and then over time you can see what you know you can extract common themes and common ways of 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 doing uh the work that makes sense for for multiple teams so that's i think the starting point that i recommend in, in in organizations which are Let's say uh, further behind on on their mm-hmm. DevOps journey, and then at some point. So we in DevOps we talk also a lot about comms, right? Cultural automation, um, uh, measuring, and, and and sharing. So all those things need to be considered, and also the team structure. So I think for me the missing point is that how important the organization of, of teams and um, and thinking also about. Uh, Conway's law, for example, uh, those things. But they need you need some kind of maturity to be able to, you know, factor in the the team topologies and 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 Conway's law and things like that. So depending on where you are as an organization, you might need to first focus at the team level. Inside each team, what are the practices? You know, if you're not doing configuration as code, uh, automated deployments, etc., then those are like basic pieces that you need to to have the teams um, working on. And then you you get to a point where the the benefits of DevOps are, if you limit that to just those practices, then you're you're not achieving kind of wider. Uh, Benefits of having faster flow and and being able to deliver more more quickly and and uh, with more quality. Uh-huh. So that's where the team structures and thinking about how teams interact and you know explicitly um, considering responsibilities of teams and communication paths between teams. It's where the the, um, the value comes in.
0: Of course, uh, everyone knows what Conway's law is, uh, and I did not just Google it. Um, just, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, maybe, maybe, maybe for our audience uh, who may be um, less quick on the Google button than I am, um, you could just uh, sure.
1: So uh, Conway's law uh, essentially, uh, Mel Conway wrote this paper. Um, I think it was 19... 1967 Um The key idea that was taken from that paper is that um, the your software architecture, not what's on the paper, but what you know, actually, comes out at the end of uh, when you when you deliver uh, will reflect the communication structures inside the organization. So that kind of uh, you know very old battle between uh, we wanted this architecture, but then in the end was totally different. Uh, one of the main factors is because of Conway's laws, because in practice, when you are doing the work, then the way that teams are structured and how and the informal communication paths between them. Um, they shape the final software architecture much more than whatever blueprint right. you had in the beginning.
0: So, if you've got a siloed uh, organization, you're going to have a siloed uh, software architecture. Exactly. For example, exactly. So It's a bit like um, real programmers write Fortran in any language, um, <laughs> which which also comes from from back then. Uh, so, so yeah. what what you're, what you're saying with that is a uh, yeah that a very communicative uh, organization is 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 automatically gonna fit in with this more collaborative approach. And then everyone else is gonna need a bit of work to to get up to speed on on, on kind of more collaborative team approaches.
1: Yeah, and, and also when you think about Conway's law, the, the consequence is that if we want a given architecture for our systems, we need to consider how is the structure of the teams. To match that architecture because they have this kind of mirroring effect, so we want to think about um, how teams interact, which parts of the of the system each team is responsible for, or which services, if you're if you're thinking about microservices architecture. So, uh-huh. in fact, when we're you know there's, there's this discussion between monolith and microservices, what are the advantages and disadvantages? Um, one key idea is to think about, okay, uh, what is the right size of software for one team to own? Rather than thinking specifically about microservices, uh, think about this team of you know five to nine people, what size of software can they own effectively where they are able to deliver it, operate it, um, and provide a good service around it? Rather than say, okay, this team uh, owns, this number of microservices and that team owns that other number. It doesn't matter as much how many microservices. What matters is that the size of the of the overall software they're responsible for matches their capacity to do a good job of building, operating, uh, monitoring, etc.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, there's, there's the um, uh, so you mentioned seven, and I think back in my uh, DSTM Dynamic Systems Development Methodology uh, days. Uh, I think teams of set seven were about kind of seen as you know, that that cross-functional team of that's, that's a good number. Uh, equally, I've heard the number fifteen banded around uh, as far as a kind of you know, small small organisation, and you never want to be bigger than that.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's coming from um, Dunbar's numbers, isn't it? Where it uh, says. Yeah,
0: I'm on to Google again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Essentially the core idea that we've we've taken also, you know, took to in the book is uh what he says is that you can have deep trust relationships relationships with up to five people in a team. So there you, you have yeah, you know, a it. strong bond with uh, between everyone and then you can have um a good how do you put it? Um I think you can have um still strong relationship with up to 15 people so you're able to to know what you know what the other people are doing you know and understand the dependencies and then beyond 15 people it just becomes um, much harder so sure. yeah that's also something we, we mentioned in the book when you're thinking about not only organizing the, not only the size of teams but also then how you organize teams into groups or departments etc you should Consider these these numbers because they mean uh, they they help guide w- how many teams should be in, in a in a group so that the group is still effective in in the in knowing what you know everyone knows what the other teams are working on not deeply but they have an idea of what's going on as a as a as a group of teams um, rather than kind of just ad hoc uh, way of oh well, we need. More teams because we have more more products or more features. Let's just add teams and add people uh-huh. teams uh, without considering. Okay, but how much? How is the the relationship between the people inside the team and between different teams? How is that going to work? Uh, if if I have. Uh, so many teams around me that I don't even know what they're doing. That's not very um, effective for the, the business to...
0: Which brings to the mythical man month and adding people to a exactly. team, we'll just make the project later and all that kind of stuff. This this, yeah. this, this stuff goes way back. I mean, interestingly, uh, speaking of way back, uh, I, was, I was literally just writing about, um, uh, I probably haven't invented this, but for the moment, I coined the term the Goldilocks principle of uh, module size. So it needs to be not too big and not too small, but just right. And um, I think if you're talking about microservices, for example, uh, we may end up with, sure, all of those kind of platformy microservices of a certain type can be managed by a certain team. And there is going to be some tolerances on on, on that team level. So you may need nine people to do it, or you may only need five people to do it. But ultimately, um, it's about... What you're saying is, it is about mapping that kind of the need space. So, as you, for example, you, you mentioned test automation as an enabling team. Um, maybe we just need three people right now to just help push that test automation thing through, and then that team will dissipate over time. Uh, but at other other places, you may actually have a platform team of eleven, uh, which is a bit clunky given what we're trying to do. But ultimately, that you know that that's just the, the size of the job. So, we've got to work with intolerances on that stuff.
1: Definitely. Um, that, that kind of evolution over time. Uh, what do we need now? Do we need, you know, like you said, uh, test automation expertise? We need maybe an enabling team that's going to help uh, product teams or uh, streamlined teams to achieve that, the right level of test automation. And maybe in, in a year or two years, we don't need this enabling team anymore. Or the people uh-huh. in that team actually can be part of a become part of product team, um, and that's what we don't see enough uh, thought about this this kind of evolution in in most organizations. Um, they just have a, a org chart or a structure which is considered, and it it remains the same for for several years until they want to do kind of big bang reorganization. Where we're saying, oh, now for DevOps, we're going to to have DevOps teams, for example, um, and then you're going to be in this continual, you know, cycle of reorganization, which is typically quite painful for the people uh, in the teams, and you're re- recreating new teams and um, losing the effectiveness of, of of the teams you had before, um, and then in a few years you're going to do this again because there's a new um, hype or what have you so that's that's not very effective it's it's more important to think on a regular basis um where what do we need now and what what's coming next what kind of uh do we need to adopt new technology or new are we going into a new new market or etc and what do we need to do what do when do Uh we need to be more collaborative and discover um, more and deal with more uncertainty and when do we need to execute and just you know we know what we need to do we just need to the capabilities to to have this you know end-to-end teams deliver and have as fast flow as as possible and um, uh-huh. that's something similar to that that's been phrased in different in different terms uh, by different people for example in the lean enterprise book they talk about horizon one two and three which is it Essentially, maps uh, to this, where um, you have the horizon where you are executing. You know, uh, you know it's 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 what's making money for the organization already, and you just deliver, keep executing on that, and provide a good service. And then you have some uh, second horizon where it's more uh, there's more uncertainties, more blurry what exactly you need to do, and and that's where you probably need more collaboration between some teams, and then you have. Uh, a third horizon, which is really things that are co- only going to actually come eventually to the market in, in some years from now, but you're trying to do an early exploration of um, where do we need to go and, and what kind of larger trends uh, we need to think about. So, you know, if if, if we look at the recent, recent uh, past in, in IT, things like, Um, artificial intelligence and internet of things etc which you might you know if you've organization that has not done anything around that you might want to start thinking does this make sense for us where can we apply it and um, Uh that kind of horizon where you're just considering ideas so that you're not uh, then suddenly you're like behind everyone else and you're like oh we need to do uh, AI, or oh, we need to do, or, or DevOps, like we were saying. Um, but then it's a more kind of reactive thing, where you're say, where you're just following trends rather than actually understanding how that fits with your with your business and what you provide to your customers.
0: So I mean, what, what we have, um, I, we're in a really, really interesting juncture. I think we like everyone. Um, I, I mean, I, I both—you he- can see—I'm sort of hedging. I'm stumbling how to say this because I don't want to say we're we're at a point of a paradigm shift or any of those waffly terms that people have that literally heard people say that for decades. Um, but what's really interesting about now is the fact that um, over the past three, four, five decades, we've seen a lot of IT best practice. It's fascinating how you reference things from 1967 and so on. Um, but um, Where we're shifting to right now is actually fully embracing uh, IT. And terms like digital transformation are being used a lot at the moment. And five years ago, we were talking about consumerization as this kind of problem to be solved. Uh, Like suddenly uh, technology is all around us and we don't like it. Whereas now technology is all around us and we've got to accept it. And DevOps is a symptom of that, just as it's a symptom of other things. Sorry, this is a massively long preamble. I'm going to get to a question in a second. Um, I'm thinking about uh, some of the things that you're saying are essentially applying um, uh, new principles and old principles to, to this change in context and how, once you've adopted them, once you have fully embraced uh, technology being all around you, once you have fully embraced lean and agile and and so on, um, it's a very binary thing. You can't unembrace it. There isn't another step to happen. You're either not embracing it, then you're embracing it. There isn't a third step. Um, So I wonder how much of this whole conversation is about being on that cusp, being on that shift. And whether or not we'll still be having these same conversations in two years' time, or whether uh, the kinds of team structures that you're talking about in the book will just become the norm rather than the exception. Uh, the cr- first question is, what do you think? The second question is, where are things going from your perspective, uh, and, and how, how do you see the future evolving?
1: Um, so, in terms of thinking about these this team structures as, as the norm, um, I would like that to happen. <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to be the case.
0: Yeah. Everyone read your book, by the way. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great book I can tell.
1: So I think I read your book. there is more and more awareness that um, the way you do work effectively and, and with quality and providing good service um, has a lot of factors. And also it's it's not, you know, it's clear that we cannot achieve that with this kind of um, waterfall model where, you know, we expect to plan everything in advance. So now it's, it's clear that we need to accept uncertainty and certainly agile um, help with that a lot. And, and the fact that we, things are not static. So you need to, you know, technology is changing all the time uh, with the, you know, Startups are disrupting existing markets all the time, so uh, uncertainty is is key. And and what I find is that we now accept that more at the, within the um, delivery and and software development teams. Sometimes at the organization level, more kind of strategic level, it's not always ex, uh, accepted yet that there's a lot of uncertainty and we ne- we need to deal uh-huh. with. That. So I think the. team structures and interactions between teams um thinking about that comes in line with accepting uncertainty and you know accepting that you need to evolve and what's working now it's not going to work in two years and and you need to you know to keep evolving your uh your organization and and be more lean if you like more agile organization and in terms
0: of, I mean, it does it yeah. does come down to being an organizationally agile, which I think is. Uh, I, I I'm I'm trying to balance two things in my head, which I don't fully understand. One is, I think this this model of you know every single process that we have uh, should be unique and different, and there's no such thing as a standardised workflow like we had with waterfall anymore. That to me is a bit of a problem because we're spending so much time reinventing all the time and not. Uh, and that's distracting from the efficiency of actually doing in some ways. Uh, but at the same time, we've got to have this dynamic organization where every six months, every three months, every the moment that it's the right time, these teams aren't working for us. Um, and people won't feel offended or, oh, my God, here we go again. It's just a reorganization. Here, hear it a lot in the NHS in the UK, for example, where it's just constant state of reorganization, but it's never right. Whereas what you're talking about is a constant uh, potential for reorganization in order to make it always right. And that's a very different uh, perspective.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, team stability is is very important as well for for people and, and for the flow of work as well. Um, so we're not saying, you know, change your teams all the time, but think about, first of all, think about what their responsibilities are. What is their, what should they be um, working on that makes sense for a team to be able to own effectively end to end and then uh, think about what other teams you need and what what kind of collaboration or interaction modes you need with those other teams and evolve that over time um, so I can have the same same team um, which needs to collaborate for a period of time uh, with a platform team on on how do we adopt kubernetes for example if if you know we've made the case that this is really going to be um helpful to to adopt this technology and then after that period of time we say okay now we don't need to collaborate as much anymore it's, it's we're back to using this as a service because we have clearly defined um mm-hmm. apis and, and the usage for this technology and uh, we understand it within the context of our own organization so keeping teams stable is is important so that you don't have that constant feeling of we're always reorganizing, but understanding that the way they work uh, with it with each other is can vary over time and, and should be explicitly addressed. I think that's the the key to be able to yeah, like you were saying, um, manage and address all the you know the constant influx of of new technology, new ways of working. Um, we need to adopt them at, because otherwise we'll be um, Uh, behind other organizations who are able to to go faster, but at the same time, we need to um, be explicit about it. Which
0: I guess is why uh, the the notion of team topologies, um, this is going to sound like a pitch for your book, but um, it it, it genuinely isn't. Um, The the notion of topologies, i.e. patterns which we can apply, you're always the platform team. Don't worry about it. Don't panic. We're not going to restructure you out of existence in two weeks' time. Uh, But the platform changes and therefore what happens in the platform team will also need to be, but at least we've got fixed fix exactly. on the models that, that we're applying and that uh, creates that stability even though we know that the world, you know, <laughs> no one would deny that as, as you say it's an uncertain uh, business environment it's an uncertain technology environment And we've, we've got to deal with that whether we like it or not.
1: Exactly and I think what you said before we now have a good set of of practices that we know uh for you know kind of at the engineering level you know continuous integration continuous delivery um deployment automation configuration as as code et cetera you have we have a good set of practices we have uh huge you know large ecosystem of tools around them uh which can help the teams a lot to you know to be to be more effective and, and execute and and deliver uh faster. Like you were saying, so we have that. Even though in many organizations the teams don't don't have those skills yet, so you still need to to help them out um, with some expertise around that. But the practices are there. Uh, if the teams adopt those good engineering uh, maturity practices, then they will be able to to execute faster, and then you can think about uh, the topologies in order to yeah um uh, give you the, the the tools or the capability to to deal with uncertainty and you know changing uh requirements uh, at the business level and technology level as well
0: so thank you so much for this i'm i'm going to leave you with the last word if i may um sure. and time time has shot past um apart from reading your book which which is out in september um so in in the interim while while people are waiting for that to come out um what would you advise any organization that they're doing DevOps to an extent, they're looking to expand their use of DevOps, uh, but they're finding that it's it, it's hitting more and more bottlenecks um, and it's beca- it feels like it's becoming harder rather than becoming easier. Uh, what would be the first conversation that you would look to have with with an organization that's starting to struggle with scaling up their DevOps efforts?
1: First thing would be to, like we said before, uh, forget about DevOps for a moment. Think about what you actually want to achieve. When you know what you want to achieve, then you can come up with with metrics that help you uh, see if you're making progress. I know it's it's easier said than done, but just start somewhere. Start with some kind of, of metrics around quality, speed, operability, serviceability that can help at least uh, provide you the visibility of where you are now, um, and how you are progressing over time. And then, you know, you need to think long term. How do I improve the the culture if if there is a culture of uh, of blaming my organization or people are afraid to try things because they get punished if they if they make mistakes? Then, how do I change that long term? Um, and also, you know, try things and start, you know, depending on your journey, but uh, allow teams to take ownership of their um, DevOps journey and allow them to try things and see what works, what doesn't, um, before you you jump into a kind of uh, framework or whatever you have that kind of gives you the 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 idea that you will be able to be DevOps in X months or years—it uh-huh. uh, doesn't really work like that. So it needs to be much more um, organic, and that you let teams try and, and have ownership. So kind of bottom up approach, uh, while at the same time you are looking at what are the things that work and don't, and then you know expand that to to the to the whole organization but it's a, it's a long process. So don't expect immediate, uh, results, um, allow things to, to evolve, but measure at the same time and think about how can you improve the culture and, um, you know, sharing of of good practices, because a lot of times there's too much focus on, on the tooling and automation, which is helpful. But when you look at the whole stream of, of work, it's, the bottlenecks are often not there, are in in other parts of of the organization.
0: That's that's amazing. So so don't lock things because often we see the the solution as well. We've got to lock it down. We've got to put a framework in place. We've got to kind of uh, uh, sim- simplify and structure and and so on and so forth. And what you're saying is, uh, take responsibility, add visibility. Um, uh, if I can use the word observability, um, make sure that you understand what it is, where you are. And then move from there, but allow people to um, develop it in such a way that adds the most value rather than trying to tell people what to do. Uh, and locks them down in that way. Well, Matt, Matt, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, Or should I say, uh, obrigado, um, uh, Manuel, (laughs) Uh, and uh, uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, We'll we'll, we'll be tweeting your Twitter handle at the same time as this. So so if anyone's got any questions uh, uh, for myself or or for Manuel, uh, mostly for Manuel, then then please let us know and, and speak to you all next time. Thank you, Manuel.
1: Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this
0: episode of Voices in DevOps, please check out the other ones. Scaling DevOps for the Enterprise is the focus of a recent report John wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how digital transformation is evolving, download the single report or subscribe to
1: GigaOM Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.